Hello, I'm Mark O'Connor and welcome to our next installment where we take a deeper dive into our tech index report. I'm delighted to be joined by my colleagues, my friends, Christy Swartz from our Asia Pac practice and Margot Tank from the US, from Washington. Uh, both of you experts in all things fintech, so I'm sure we're gonna have a great conversation. Margot, can I come to you first? And let's talk about the nature of fintech, specifically with regards to digital transformation. You know, we've been talking about digital transformation, and I've been advising on digital transformation for 20 you know, plus years since there were enabling laws. And the enabling laws really are very similar in every jurisdiction in terms of how to sign and do e-contracting and how to deliver disclosures and present information and transact electronically. There's been discussion for the same amount of time, 20 plus years, on the efficiencies of going digital. It's faster, cheaper, easy to communicate from any place, any remote place, uh, before we had COVID. Also, the ability to track and trace and audit is something that has been talked about and utilized for a long time. It seems like we should be more advanced than we are in terms of digital transformation, but it's been a very long journey recognizing the benefits and then deploying and implementing them. There's a lot of friction that occurs you know, in between. The legal baseline was very, very basic in terms of framework. There wasn't any guidance on how to identify individuals in an electronic environment, how to attribute certain actions or certain signatures to the signer, how to present information in a way that was meaningful. All laws, regardless of what uh, jurisdiction you're in, have writing and signing requirements and lots of detail to them. So how do you how do you offer that information in an electronic environment on a mobile device? There was no court cases, regardless of whether you're, you know, again, this is a globally the same issue, no, no court cases, and companies were very reluctant to kind of be a first mover. But here we are post-COVID, and during COVID, companies really did have to adapt it. You know, employees went home. How were they going to communicate? Um, I'm sure everyone has probably used a DocuSign application at this point one way or the other. So I th the transition, hearts and minds, it's really happening. Yes, and with financial services organizations perhaps at or near the forefront of organizations pushing that transformation agenda, be that to, uh, to deal with customer uh, demand or competitor well, competition. Christy, to what extent is that resonating with what you're seeing in, in your region? I'd say actually to some extent quite the opposite. We're a little bit behind in that respect. We still like fax machines, we still like paper, and we still like wet ink signatures. So most of the transactions you'll find in Hong Kong cannot take place without it being an actual wet ink signature. So transformation, digital transformation and electronic signatures is something that from an Asia perspective that we probably need to take a closer look at, but it's, it's kind of in the works amongst many other things. But it's not all not all bad uh, news story, is it, on that? I know for a fact that you're working very closely on a, a, a DLA grown out product, a, a distributed leisure technology DLT called TOCO, which is quite a pathfinder uh, in the region. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So TOCO was founded in 2020 by DLA Piper in collaboration with Aldersgate DLS. It basically is an institutional grade tokenization engine, which tokenizes real estate artwork, etc. We see a lot of this being used throughout Asia in particular, but we're also seeing the adaptation in Europe as well. It was basically part of the Radical Change Initiative that DLA, I understand, started. And Scott Teal was kind of the brainchild behind it and has moved over to, in fact, lead that effort with TOCO. And I've seen some of the use cases 
stepping away from fintech for a second, one, for example, is looking at the tokenization of a supply chain and yes. just knowing that you can you can demonstrate ESG credentials in the supply chain Absolutely. through a circular economy, for example. But you mentioned you mentioned blockchain, you mentioned cryptocurrency there. These are buzzwords people will be familiar with to, to a greater or lesser extent. And, and some of these things are real. Some of these things uh, you know, get a bad press. You see the, the graphs going up and down in the media and so forth. And clearly, therefore, that must be an area that the regulators, you know, the, the eye of Sauron from the regulator is looking at this. Now, what, what's happening with regard to <laughs> regulation of these sorts of fintech um, ideas in, in your region? Well, in Hong Kong, for instance, we have a very strange kind of dichotomy in the fact that it's basically, is it a security, is it not a security? And, and the, the kind of why I say it's a strange dichotomy is because if it's a security, it's clearly regulated by the SFC. If it's not, it's not regulated. So someone came in the other day and said, oh my gosh, you know, we have insider trading of a you know, cryptocurrency exchange. And I said, yes. And they said, well, but what are we going to do about that? How can we basically go after them? I said, they're not regulated. So I said, is it insider trading even? Because I said that it, it, insider trading is a TradFi concept that comes about through securities dealings, not through what I would say cryptocurrency and, and the like. So maybe it's insider dealing, maybe it's not. With that, you've got you know, different regions looking at it in different ways. Hong Kong, I think if we would have had this conversation last week, I think we would be having a totally different conversation because the SFC seems to have taken an about face and seems to be wanting to say, okay, we're looking at this because of AML KYC. We are looking at this because of compliance. And so we are having to take a look at whether we want to or not, what does cryptocurrency look like and what does the security look like and who is going to regulate this and is it going to be the same person in effect. So Hong Kong, I think we're getting there. I think possibly the slowness has actually benefited us in the fact that we can look at look around and see what other people have done and see if it's in fact been useful so we can learn from other people's examples. But for instance, China, China basically is banned cryptocurrency but China basically does not discourage blockchain technology. So people think, oh, it's completely not permissible. That's in and of itself not true. You just can't use the mechanism for payments. So when Margaret talks about payments and, and some of the other aspects of you know, where this kind of goes to, it cuts across a lot of different yeah. areas. It cuts across central bank issues sometimes you know, with stable coins. When you're looking at you know, central bank digital currencies, you start cutting across several regulatory regimes in several jurisdictions. So, you know, with the international aspect of the practice, it's like sometimes we look at this and we say we jurisdiction shop, not because we're looking to possibly get out of certain regulation, but sometimes we are actually looking for regulation that's with some certainty. So you can guide the client accordingly and you can basically figure out where is that going to lead me so I actually have some certainty. Hong Kong has been a little bit of a, I think it's been an opt-in. That means if you think you're a security and your product fits within our regime, you can be licensed, but if not, nice knowing you. So I think we're, we're basically backtracking a little bit in that respect. And the other aspect of it is too, is we're looking at it from a professional investor only, but we're now saying, well, okay, retail may need to be considered in this equation as well. And is that the same analysis and picture you're seeing? This is a, yeah, there's this is a, a, there's, a patchwork quilt. It's a, it's, that, total, it's a total patchwork. Yeah. The interesting part, and I think for, and the challenge for us uh, attorney advisors is when we're asked the question, what is the bit and bite, right? It, that's all it is when you're talking about a digital asset. So what are the characteristics of it? And, you know, is it a, an investment contract? Is it a commodity? Is it a payment instrument? How is it taxed? So the asset can change character and can morph over time, can have multiple 
regulators. And I think that's what causes lots of confusion. Even with the conversation of, you know, an NFT, what's an NFT? An NFT could be a board ape with intellectual property rights, <laughs> or it could be fractionalized and turned into a security, or it could be used as a payment mechanism. I'm going to pay for pizza with this NFT. I'm using it as a payment mechanism. So a lot of it is sort of beauties in the eyes of the beholder. The token is in the eyes of the user. And that's a little bit about how the regulators are, are looking at it. At first, the regulatory environment was you know, slow to kind of wander in. They thought that crypto digital assets was going to be a fad, that there wasn't going to be much lasting value to it. In the United States, Treasury Department went in and started to regulate and said that it was money transmission, virtual currency. Although it's not government money issued and backed and supported by the government, it's a substitute for value. So therefore, it's regulated. And if a company, whether the company is a platform centralized or decentralized, is moving value from one person or one location uh, to another, they need to comply with the Bank Secrecy Act, anti-money laundering, as well as consumer protection. Right. So that was sort of off to the races in you know 2012, 2013. And then there was lots of silence in the United States from the regulators until the SEC stepped in and said, wait a second, you know, this is a security. I don't care what you call it, a utility contract, an initial coin offering. If you're fundraising and people are investing, you know, it's a security. And then the CFTC, the Commodities Future Trading Commission, stepped in and said, well, you know, you're, are you doing a swap? Are you doing a derivative or an option contract? Well, in those cases, that's a commodity. So, you know, we have jurisdiction. In the United States, there's been a full sort of forced effort in the last six weeks to really pause the market. There was a White House report that came out, the need to push agencies to investigate and enforce on crypto matters and to stop the slicing and dicing and the terminology, well, we're only doing this. No, what you're doing is a regulated product. It's not that different. You're just using the blockchain or the internet technology to achieve the same purpose. So I think there's gonna be a lot more focus Digital assets, crypto, it's here to stay. So now it's about how to regulate it. Another interesting feature, the Uniform Law Commission in the United States, it's a group of folks that writes the Uniform Commercial Code, just came out with a new article, Article 12, and it's a way to secure and register ownership and secure your interest, perfect your interest in a controllable electronic record, which would cover Bitcoin, would cover an NFT. So there is this regulatory regime that is now going to support, so not regulating the asset, but it's going to enable those who want to invest in the asset to perfect their interest, secure their interest. It's going to allow for a lot more money to actually flow into the market. So it's really, yeah, it's, it's, um, Regulators will, though, be focusing on anti-money laundering, consumer protection, market manipulation, privacy, security, technology, and it's going to be less about whether you're offering the product. It's going to be also those companies that are serving the financial institutions that are offering the product or the non-bank financial institutions that are offering the product be a lot more controls in place. And, and the, these are issues that have to be solved and working with the way that business and communities are going. You're talking about paying using um, some sort of digital asset as a method of payment, whether or not the metaverse is yet you know, the expectation we, we think it could be, but it will be. So moving from world to world, being able to pay 
whether it's in games or elsewhere, is, is going to be our new normal in the next two, three, five years and so forth. You know, we saw the early, the early NFTs, the, the original tweet, the first ever tweet that was bought for a huge amount and then tanked. Yeah, that, that's still an asset. We've just seen recently Damien Hurst, the, uh, the artist, offer, um, I think, 4,000 of his works. Yeah. Um, and they, right. you could either buy the actual artwork or buy the NFT version. And those that chose the NFT, he burnt the, the, the literal work. That legitimizes, doesn't it? That actually propels forward the awareness. You need to the, just think about digital assets. You need to kind of bring it home and make it concrete. And when you think about an NFT, it's a baseball card. It's a collectible. It's a ticket to the Beatles concert, whatever, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's something that people have valued and have traded and it's now just digitized. Digital, digital and it's a way to take technology wrapper onto something to make sure and prove up that it's unique and that it's non-fungible and who owns it, right? You're just using technology to do all the things that we do in everyday life. So I think people problems. need to not be yeah. so scared about the digital asset world if you just think about what we're doing every day. I think to add on that, we're seeing that with TOCO when we're looking at real estate tokenizations, we're basically saying to the regulator for the time being, look, there's nothing different about us basically doing fundraising using tokens as opposed to doing shares. It's the same thing. And we're actually just saying it's an overlay and it helps because it, it, it's providence, as you say, but it also helps with due diligence later on in the transaction. Right. So it basically proves ownership, you know, what you paid for it, you know, value. You know value, value. it's a value creation. And so I think with that, we'll eventually see it where I think we have it taking another turn. But I think with the 20 years it's taken the U.S. to get movement into the digital world, I think these things take time. For regulators, of course, they don't like change. I always use the example in Hong Kong, at least, is that, you know, everyone doesn't realize but we didn't have a drink driving law for a long time. And everyone says, that's ridiculous. What do you mean you didn't have a drink driving law? And I said, because it wasn't a problem. So we didn't pass legislation until we needed to because we don't tend to, as people advising regulators, you don't change things that A, are not broken or B, basically don't need changing if there's not a problem. So I think maybe there's not a problem now. And so I don't think, um, as Margaret rightly says, it's not that you're trying to fix something or we shouldn't be so scared of it. It's just the fact that you've got something you're you're kind of moving on into the digital space. Um, you know, the example about, you know, I was trying to leave the tube and my, my phone couldn't work. And it's like, you know, who knew in the day that, you know, you're going to be able to do that with a phone or any other thing other than, you know, your, your card. I used to go and I have a card and you kind of check in and check out the tube. So we're seeing that with Toco. Some of the examples that Margo mentioned, we're seeing the fact that with Toco that we're kind of having to take it slow with the regulators and the fact that some of the kind of tokenization pieces, as it were, are overlays of the real asset. So in other words, we're saying to the regulator, we may be doing a fundraising with this. However, it's just the same as a share certificate. So it's just a digitized form. And that's what we basically think is, I guess, run up to the next sequel. But as Margo mentioned, I mean, it's taken about 20 years to get, you know, the U.S. thinking about and getting as far as they have done. I think in, in, in that respect, it's going to take maybe other jurisdictions a bit of catch up time. So I think, you know, maybe we're not trying to fix a problem, but we are trying to advance the idea of providence around ownership, especially from an Asia perspective. We have a high instance of fraud. So this is basically where blockchain technology really is going to prove its worth and the fact that it, it adds a lot of value to a transaction. So turning to the tech index report itself. The report seems to be suggesting that the larger players, the traditional institutions, are playing a bit of a waiting game, waiting to see how, in, in Europe at least, the, the regulatory landscape settles down. 
Is that the same that you're seeing in your jurisdictions, Christy, in, in Asia Pac? Not at all. We're seeing actually the likes of HSBC, JP Morgan, etc. go for it and, and basically looking at this. In fact, I would suggest even that they're actually playing an active part in being part of the kind of conversation with regulators and seeing what they need and saying, where, where do we need change? Where do we need regulation? Where do we need this to go? So I think they're actually providing a guiding light, in fact, in, in Asia. And I think because, you know, we, we, we can't somewhat in Asia wait for things to happen. You know, we're, we're small. Hong Kong's 7 million people. We're a small little place, but we, we, we have a lot of investments in a lot of financial institutions there representing, you know, kind of Asia investments. We are a bit of a herd mentality. So if, if the U.S. does something, you'll find our regulators normally saying, if the U.S. does it this way, we're probably going to follow. So, Margot, what's the U.S. doing? So I think, <laughs> I think there's a sense of urgency among the larger financial institutions to maintain or compete better with the fintech challengers. So I'd say there's no need or they don't think there's need to be waiting for regulation. They're jumping in in all things digital, digital banking, payments, blockchain use. There's no hesitation because they've seen the likes of you know, Klarna and other fintech providers, whether they be buy now, pay later or payments oriented or, or you know, a digital bank only competing with the traditional players. And they're saying, no, we need to make sure that we're providing the marketplace and consumers with a competitive advantage. And we're, they're well placed you know, to do that. So whether they build it or whether they buy it, I don't think there's hesitation in terms of jumping to the market. You're not going to see it turn on a dime because these institutions are large, labor-intensive systems, legacy systems, interoperability, cultural barriers. I mean, there's a lot of obstacles to overcome, but it's not a wait-and-see game in terms of needing law and regulation to enable the digitization. It's just about all the other issues, cost, time, hearts and minds, markets, implementation, operationalizing the issues. So really positive, really uh, driving forward, using yeah, the technology. There's no, absolutely, there's no turning back. Yeah. No and as you back. mentioned, you mentioned uh, digital banking. We talked about blockchain a little bit. We talked about you know, cyber issues and so on. I understand that payment solutions is a big growth area in Asia Pac. Is that right, Christy? Absolutely. We have a lot of different scenarios and different uh, kind of issues that you probably don't see from a US perspective or even from a European perspective because you know, think about it. We've got Hong Kong dollar, it's pegged to the US dollar. Singapore dollar has got a basket of currencies, which is it's basically a good thing. But China, it's a non-convertible currency. So when you're trying to, as a business, supply things from China to your business in the United States and you're sitting in Hong Kong, we've got to pay them. So the payments part of it, it's not a nice to have, it's a need to have. Um, and we have to have really um, a lot of uh, focus in that respect. And that's where a lot of the big um, unicorns in Hong Kong in fact, have basically made their mark because they, they were payments providers, payment solution providers for big businesses that are saying, I need to move currency X to currency Y. How do I do that? Especially when you're talking about non-convertible currencies, and there's quite a few of those in the Asia region. You mentioned unicorns there. You know, everyone's trying to spot a unicorn. And maybe just to wrap up this great conversation, I, I realize we've only just scratched the surface of the sorts of issues we could talk about there, but what is the unicorn? What's the, what's the next bet? What should anyone watching this or reading our tech index, what should they be uh, keeping their eyes on? What's your bet, Margot? There's going to be an integration of products and services and your daily life. You're gonna get in your car, 
your car is going to be a you know mobility as a service in every way. You're going to be able to sign contracts by voice. You're going to be able to buy a new outfit and have it charged to your credit card, again, by voice or by touching screens. Your insurance for your car might go up or down based on how fast you leave your driveway or whether you're going through a stop sign. Everything will be integrated. Or you take your car and because it's able to be tracked and you drive to a fast food place, your health insurance might go up. I mean, <laughs> all of this integration of your daily life and your use of technology will be, for better or for worse, I see a very sort of seamless approach going forward where there's gonna be lots of winners and not just you know one type of company. Christy, from your perspective? You know, most people in, in, in Hong Kong, I would suggest, don't even own a car. So maybe we're not quite to that level yet of sophistication okay. saying that we want, to, yeah, we, that we want the, the, the voice, uh, you know, to activate all these things. And I think probably from, as I mentioned, unfortunately, we've got a you know, high instance of fraud. And so just to have things secure, the United States is a big place with lots of players and lots of, you know, regulators that probably have a lot more experience. I, I would suggest that Asian countries were a little bit smaller, have less revenue, but less, you know, ability to, to be able to monetize some of the aspects of, of, of where we're seeing the U.S. go to, because like I said, it's a have to have. It's not a, it's not a want to have. So I think anything that would help around payments and, and, and basically in for banking, uh, uh, you know, from that perspective, I think. So that's how digital payments and virtual payments basically have, have become very popular in, in, you know, a short period of time yeah. because of that. And, you know, whether you have a car or you don't have a car, you need to buy goods. Yeah, and absolutely. China has done a good job with WeChat and basically the super app, the idea of the super app, where it starts out as a payments vehicle, but because you're able to pay for services, it becomes a marketing or a data collection. And then to be able to have multiple apps inside the app, that's where, again, I think the future is gonna be instead of when the internet started and, and Apple you know, set forth its phone to the universe, every commercial on TV, at least in the US, was you know, there's an app for that. It was everything <laughs> could be in an app and all these different, on my phone, you'll see I have thousands of them and my kids are like, really, like, do you really need all those? But you know, they were all cool and interesting, but they all only did one thing. So the idea is going to be to kind of collapse all those things and be able to open one app and the data, because it's going to circulate between the different sort of apps or sub apps in an app, will be able to, through artificial intelligence and other uses, will be able to sort through preferences and it, everything will just be more seamless, integrated and efficient. And there's, you know, pluses and minuses to that in terms of privacy, but as long as, you know, customers are informed. And I think that's where a lot of the regulatory focus is going to be, is going to be on choice, privacy, understanding how you're being tracked and having the ability to opt out or opt in to that, you know, to those efforts. Particularly in, in, the, in that sort of developing world, people sometimes talk about in terms of the digital haves and have nots, mm -hmm. you know, we're talking sure. at quite a sophisticated level here. You're making sure. points there that cover a lot of the areas in our tech index report. You're looking at um, the connectedness mm -hmm. and the ownership and, uh, and monetization of data which goes to APIs, which goes to data formats, which goes to purposes for which you collected the data in the first place. Right. And did you expect the data to be used for something else, uh, perhaps? Well, that's fantastic. 
Thanks, Margot. Thanks, Christy. We could talk for a whole lot longer looking at the, the emerging and evolving regulatory perspective, looking at the nature of the goods, the connectedness that's played out not only within the fintech part of our tech index report, but of course, across the other areas, looking at the use of AI, looking at data and so on. Thanks so much. And for a deeper dive and a deeper look into the issues surrounding fintech, where the market's going, with commentary from my, my colleagues here from around the world, please do take a look at the tech index report and particularly the fintech chapter. Thank you.